Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 2, CG or not CG? That is the question. Hey, hey, I'm Chris McBrien, that's Yancey Eaton, and this is the Pop Goes Your World podcast. This week, we're going to take a look at CGI in the movies. But before we get started, how's everything going, Yancey? Uh, things have been a little more hectic the last couple of weeks, but uh, I'm slowly getting things hashed out with uh, home stuff and work stuff and just a lot going on. But I'm, I'm really excited to record the show tonight. I've, I've got a ton of stuff I want to talk about. Like I'm actually, this is this is a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I'm, I'm really freaking excited. If we oh, good. It's going to be a good one. A couple quick things before we get started. Uh, first off, sad news. The entertainment world lost one of the good ones recently. Gary Marshall passed away. He was 81 years old and he leaves a huge legacy behind. I mean, he did it all, really. Uh, he was an actor, director, producer. He started off as a writer on The Tonight Show with Jack Parr, and then he went on to produce TV shows like, you know, The Odd Couple, Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy, and of course, Happy Days. So without him, there would have been no Fonzie. And everyone knows how much I love Fonzie, you know. Yep. You know. Uh, by the way, just as a quick aside, because I love doing asides, um, funny enough, when they first came up with Happy Days, when Gary Marshall first came up with it, um, he the name of the character, he had, he actually had a childhood friend that he, he kind of emulated Fonzie's character after, and but his name was Masharelli, and he was going to call him Arthur Masharelli, but Larry Gelbert over at CBS had a show called Mash, so he decided, oh, i, I, I got to change the name, so he changed it to Fonzarelli. That's how Fonzie came up. Anyway, I love Fonzie. <laughs> um, but I should mention, so again, Jerry, Gary Marshall, great, you know, he went on to direct movies. He's probably best known for, like, Pretty Woman or Runaway Bride or Princess Diaries, but I got to tell you, his first film, it is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. It's called Young Doctors in Love, and it was from 1982. Yancey, you got to try and find that movie and watch it. It is hilarious. Like, Young Doctors in Love? Young Doctors in Love, 1982. It's like a spoof of soap operas. Uh, it's got Michael McKeon and Sean Young and a bunch of other 80s era actors in it. And it is seriously one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Most people have never even heard of it, but I'm telling you, it was awesome. Another thing I did want to mention quickly before we get into the show, I'm actually going to Fan Expo in the fall, Yancey. It's um, on Labor Day weekend up here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like Comic-Con North. You know, I've never been, I've, I've got young kids, so it's been hard for, you know, for me to get out and do stuff the past couple of years. But my oldest son is now seven and needless to say I've been exposing him to all kinds of old movies and TV shows so he's all excited to go uh, Shatner and Takei are going to be there and I really really want to meet Takei and so I went online I booked our hotel I got the tickets and then my buddy that's going to go uh, he texts me literally like two minutes after I booked uh, everything and he's like hey did you see who they added to the convention so I went over to the website and they just added Mark Hamill to the show really yeah so my I son you're gonna say Fonz was no. Fonz there last year and you wanted to go or well, something no, like that that was uh that was back in June uh Fonzie was at um oh it was at uh Niagara Falls Comic Con and I couldn't go because I had to stay home and do a garage sale so this is love I'm telling you you know my <laughs> um but uh, my son is obviously pretty amped up he gets to meet Luke Skywalker so that's gonna be pretty cool anyway you ready to get started uh, with some top of the pops yeah man let's do it all right let's go <laughs> You kids today with your Zima soft drinks, 
Pac-Man video games and your Dan Fogelberg records. We're the do-it-yourself generation. A lot of millennials look at me like I've got two heads. If you didn't like MASH... So here's where our generations are really, really different. They all watch the same five TV shows. We mock what yeah. we don't understand. It is very, very culturally relevant. It's, it's going to be here for a while. It's like a little secret handshake that we have with each other. Help me out, Chris. What am I trying to say? I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. You have like this weird, almost cultish obsession with the Fonz. Okay, this week we're talking CGI, obviously, in movies. I think I'd like to start off with one or two examples of the best CGI ever of all time. Yancey, you want to kick it off for us? Give me some examples. Best CGI ever. This was really, really hard because there's so many movies, especially for me growing up, that were just completely iconic. So I was trying to think of something that that brought something new that had never been done before. So not just... You got to think like there's this sliding scale, right? Like any movie that comes out today, obviously just because of technological development, it's going to look better just by default, right? So you're looking for something that has kind of like this trailblaze, you know, you know, mantra to it and stuff. And I, I got to thinking about really big movies and movies that kind of like broke that barrier. And uh, I remember back in 1993, I was five years old. This is actually one of the earliest memories I've I, I have as a child. Um, I was five years old, and my parents took all four of us kids to the, the uh, local drive-in to see Jurassic Park. Nice. Yeah, and uh, to see that first scene, and you're waiting, you know, the, the, the it starts off slow, the, the movie starts off really slow, but to see that first scene, whenever he looks up from the Jeep, and then he tries to get her attention, and they look at this gigantic Brachiosaurus, and it was just, I mean, awe-inspiring. It was absolutely incredible. And uh, I just remember just being completely awestruck and, and, and just, like, paralyzed by that not even afraid but just like i cannot believe that this is actually possible that i'm looking at this and like that stuck with me and i've always gravitated towards movies like that where you know it's not an overbearing amount of cgi but it's just so it, it just fits so perfectly and like you your mind is being tricked into thinking that it's real so it's it's definitely jurassic park for me there's a lot of other ones that i wanted to mention but for a number one it, it's definitely it's got to be that one well obviously it's very gratifying for me to hear you say this because i would definitely go with the old school stuff as well i have a tendency to do that we know mm -hmm. but i i think you're right i think some of the early cgi is still some of the best like if you think about it, water is really really difficult to re recreate with cgi right but if you take a look at what industrial light magic did with uh, james Cameron. Cameron's The Abyss back in uh, 1989, pretty amazing. Like there was like that water tentacle with the actor's faces on it. Like, that was really cool. And funny enough, it took ILM six months to do that for what turned out to be 75 seconds worth of screen time. Like an incredible amount of work. I also really liked um, the liquid metal Terminator in T2 Judgment Day, uh, James yep. Cameron again, um, Robert Patrick's T1000. Remember whenever we get shot or broken up and it just all went back together and reformed. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I definitely think the old school stuff is good. So um, let's flip it on its head. What's uh, one or two of the worst examples of CGI ever? What do you think? Um, <laughs> I think there has to be a sliding scale for this too because it's really easy to make bad CGI, right? So I wanted to give, I wanted to think about this. I wanted to think, what is a big budget movie where they spend a lot of money on it and it still looks really bad? That that was the criteria that I was going for this because like you've seen fantastic CGI, you've seen really really bad stuff on like B and C movies, but for there to be like a blockbuster where they spend 150 or 200 or 300 million dollars making this movie and it still looks like dog meat, like that's what I was looking for. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the Sharknado movies. <laughs> they're <Yep. laughs> bad. They're really bad. Okay, take take a pick. Sharknado one, two, three, however many there are some of the worst CGI I have ever seen in my entire life. And I, I think most of it's by design, but 
that's one example. Um, did you ever see uh, the Mummy Returns? Oh, that's one of the worst of all time, too. Oh, did you see? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's terrible. That's a good one. Oh. With the Rock. Oh yeah. The Rock is the Scorpion King, and he comes walking out. He busts through the doors, and he's he's transformed into like this anthropomorphic, uh, you know, like half scorpion, half human being, and they didn't even it like even look like him at all. Space. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, <laughs> it looks, looks like, like rubber. It looks know? like yeah, it looks like some guy, some guy from Windsor or something. Like it's just yeah. It's, yeah I, so those two are my, my top two, definitely, because they were both big budget. Well, Sharknado wasn't, but Scorpion King was definitely a big budget film. And uh, one honorable mention, though, that I, I just want to put there is whenever George Lucas decided to do the, the remastered version of Star Wars in 1997 and it completely ruined Jabba the Hutt. You remember that? Oh, God. Yeah, that's definitely on mine, too. How hey, bad that great. looked. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, it, it, oh, it was it was just terrible. And and the thing was, like, it was such an uncomfortable scene because so what happened was they shot that scene obviously back in seventy seven with a, with an actor, a big actor, walking along, and he was playing Jabba the Hutt. Then when uh, Lucas, you know, cut the film, he decided to cut that scene out. And then later on, when he decided to reincorporate Jabba into um, Jedi, you know, he came up with him as this big sort of slug like creature, right? So. And, to go back and try to superimpose this great big slug-like creature into that scene was so bad, and it, it he wasn't big enough. He was too small, and it was awkward. And then he the problem was is that Harrison Ford at one point walked around behind the actor in the scene and continued to talk to him. But Jabba's now got this big long tail, so then they tried to make it as a joke that he stepped up on his tail, mm-hmm. and like and, he, and Jabba was like, oh, like it was just oh so bad. I it, I tell it you, doesn't I, work. It doesn't work at all. And I I know that. Whenever they made the switch, you know, obviously a lot of the earlier Star Wars movies, they had a lot of actual uh, live, you know, uh, uh, demos and stuff like that. Yeah, live real special effects. Yeah, exactly. Right. So then then whenever you get into CGI, it's really kind of weird how, like, I remember watching the, uh, you know, episodes one through three and seeing how Yoda looked. And I'm like, why does Yoda look so weird? It doesn't even look like the same person. And he actually looked better and more realistic yep. as you know, just as basically a puppet than he did as, you know, a, a CGI image, which was just just baffling to me. But well, George Lucas has a history of that. Oh, he does. And when you take somebody with the amount of talent and skill that Frank Oz has as a puppeteer and you yep. give him that creature and you give him the movements and the voice, he just transformed it. And there was a lot of a trepidation going into um, releasing Empire Strikes Back on Lucas's park because, you know, can he take this tiny little rubber, rubber puppet and make him be a major character? You know, it, it could bomb, right? But I mean, mm-hmm. Frank Oz is just incredible. That's for sure. I'm just going to sort of piggyback on that because I agree with you on percent um for me the prequels the star wars prequels were awful and uh, by the way we're definitely doing a star wars episode uh, on this podcast at some point so we'll really get into it but i i agree i think bad cgi kind of starts and ends with george lucas and for, for, (laughs) for me the biggest problem for me with the use of cgi in the star wars prequels is the overuse of it and like, because here's the yeah. thing: what made the original trilogy so amazing? There's so many things that made it good, but what what made it so different from any sci-fi that came out before it was this: before Star Wars, you know, sci-fi movies were all about you know the future, and it was like super clean, like everything was clean and shiny, and everyone walked around in like silver jumpsuits. But then mm-hmm. Star Wars comes along, and first off, it takes place in the past, and the other thing too is the world looked lived in. Like, the spaceships were dirty and grimy. You could see the rivets. The characters were real. The sets were real. The makeup by Rick Baker and the animatics of guys like Phil Tippett, they were off the charts, right? And then Lucas comes out with these prequels that are exactly the opposite of that. Everything's shiny. The worlds are fake. The characters are fake. And everything is computer-generated. And even at the end, 
of the of the prequels, the, the the last one, when the babies were born, Ewan McGregor reaches down and picks up the babies, and they're not even real babies; they're CG. The whole thing's a mess. <laughs> and <laughs> the younglings. <laughs> and, and but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> it's still that still doesn't qualify as the worst CGI ever in a movie. But the honor still goes to Lucas. And here it is. The worst use of CGI in the history of cinema, as far as I'm concerned, is when Lucas went back and redid the original trilogy, just like you were saying, and he added all that CGI shit to it. The, mm-hmm. You know, all those those scenes and the backgrounds, the whole thing's a mess. But here's the friggin' cherry on top, okay? Was when he ruined the whole original trilogy by superimposing Hayden Christensen over Sebastian Shaw at the end of Jedi. For me, that single moment, Sebastian Shaw removed, Hayden Christensen in, is the single worst example of CGI in the history of film. <laughs> I've actually completely forgot about that, but I, I do remember reading about this. Well, the whole the whole part, the whole thing about the original trilogy is you go through this whole story, and at the very very end, after everything, Darth Vader turns out to be good. He he reverts back, and he's like, "Son, you've saved me." Thank mm-hmm. you. And the thing was, is then you saw Luke talk to Ben, Ben's ghost, right? And then so, of course, at the very end, everyone's celebrating and the drums are playing and everyone's cheering. And Luke goes off in the forest just for a minute by himself and looks and sees Ben, Ben's ghost glowing there. And the camera pans back and there's Yoda's ghost glowing. And it pans back further and there's Darth Vader. But, but the thing is, it's Sebastian Shaw. But instead of having like all the scars and everything, he looked good. He has his hair like, and he's smiling. Mm-hmm. And that smile that Sebastian Shaw gives ties the whole trilogy together. And instead, then they go and put Hayden Christensen scowling at the camera. And I'm like, oh, they just <laughs> ruin. Oh, I just, I can't, I tell you. Oh, we'll get into that another one. Um, so let's talk a little bit. I'd like to know, like, what, why do you think CGI is great for movies? And maybe why is CGI not so great for movies? Can you answer those questions for me? Um, I, I love CGI simply because it, it can, it can, bring to life things that we can't perceive ourselves. Um, it makes really difficult things to imagine or really difficult stories to tell or just visuals that unless you've experienced it before, you can't conjure up in your mind by yourself. CGI assists in that. You know, obviously with stories, whenever you write a book, which most movies are based on books at some point, whenever you're writing a book, there is absolutely no limitation to your imagination. You can put in whatever you want, any type of theme, any characters, any you know worldly you know, other beings or whatever, and that's fine because there's absolutely no limit to what you can think up in your brain. But to actually have to, like, bring that to a physical form and, and put it into a movie that's relatable and that other people can, you know, can receive is incredibly difficult. You can't build worlds. You can't build, you know, aliens out of nowhere. You, you have to create them. And CGI gives you that benefit to make it, um, uh, t- to make it real, to make it tangible for people who, you know, would never have that that experience. But, um, where it goes bad often is whenever you're like like you said you're putting in CGI for things that don't need to be CGI like whenever you have a child and you know there are seven billion people on the planet but for some reason you decide to make children little infants on Star Wars CGI and it doesn't fit it doesn't flow with it it looks fake it's yep. it's obtrusive whenever you're watching and you're literally distracted from the dialogue and from the characters that are being developed because the CGI is so out of place or it's so bad it's so poorly done like it it, it can be a huge distraction i've i've went and seen movies that i was so hyped for i was so excited about but because the visual effects weren't there or they were lacking or they were just obtrusive where they didn't have to be um that i mean it, it takes away a lot from a movie and it's it's the double-edged sword it can it can make a movie or it can absolutely break it 
I agree with you. By, by the way, just as another aside, because I like to do that, um, you know one area where CGI is woefully underutilized? Where's that? Adult movies. Oh, my. What do you mean? The, the adult film industry doesn't use any CGI. You ever notice that? Uh, <laughs> is this a trap? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The adult film industry is like bigger than the Hollywood movie industry and the video game industry combined. And so, if anybody had the resources, you know, to use expensive CGI, you'd think it would be them. But they never do that. I don't know. I guess I don't know what they use it for. Maybe just make everything even bigger. Oh my my my! But anyway, back back on track here uh, with CGI. I agree with you 100 percent on CGI and how it can be great for movies and bad. And I'll tell you what. For me, the examples I'll give. I'm going to go with Spielberg this time okay because i agree with you i think what makes cgi great for movies also makes it bad for movies and like you said you know earlier it brought dinosaurs to life the way it was mm-hmm. used in, in jurassic park was amazing right and I, I also like like how what they did was they intertwined the cgi with animatics and large-scale models and it all just right. worked together right? right um so you're right what you said was 100 true cgi can make the impossible possible right and for that reason it's good for movies but here's the spin on it. Like, and I agree with you. When you make the impossible possible, it's also bad. And the example I would use is Spielberg's Jaws in 1977. Spielberg originally planned for the opening scene when Chrissy Watkins goes out swimming at night. He planned to have the shark come flying up out of the water. It was going to be this like big, huge monster movie moment, right? You see the shark breach the water. It attacks the girl. It's all huge, like over the top, right? He wanted to have this explosive opening scene to his movie. But you know what happened? The mechanical shark didn't work. And in fact, the mechanical shark worked so poorly that Spielberg basically had to rework the script and keep it out of scenes where he wanted it. And the result of that, you don't see the shark for the first half of the movie and it scared the pants off people. You don't see the shark. You just hear John Williams' minimalistic two-note score. And because Mm. of that, it became one of the greatest films of all time. One of the greatest thrill rides you'll ever have watching a movie and it's Jaws. And if they had CGI back in 1975, Jaws would have just been another monster movie, another in a long line of disaster films from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And instead, it became one of the greatest movies of all time. The problem with CGI for me is that there's no mystery anymore. Like you said, everything is possible and nothing's left to the imagination. And to me, imagination is where the real power is when it comes to movie magic, or at least it used to be. But anyway, that's my rant. Uh, time now to have some fun with Yancey. Okay, over to you, my friend. Uh, you got some some questions for me this week, I understand. So Yeah, I got fun. some questions for you. Most of them are tangentially related to CGI. So either the, the movies themselves, uh, you know, feature a lot of CGI or maybe a character inside the movie. Most of them are within the last 10 or 15 years. I think there's one or two that are a little bit older than that. But, okay. okay, good. I'll, um, I'll do so my best. It's basically, yeah, it's just some basic trivia. So okay. I want you to... Uh, to not cheat, okay. keep your hands off the keyboard. Sounds good. All right, first question. It yes. says, James Cameron, yep. you may have heard of him. He's I've one of him. the most renowned implementers of CGI in his blockbuster films, and it's obviously made him a lot of money. Can you name his top five grossing films, all of which are aided heavily by on-ducing computer-generated imagery? Yeah, because he's used it in pretty much all of his movies, hasn't he? Okay, so mm-hmm. we've got Avatar, Titanic, T2, uh, going from there, I would say, what else has he got that's really, really huge? Um, Terminator 1, I'll go with. I guess Piranha 2, the spawning, probably won't count for him. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else that he... What else has he done? He took a long time off. I'm going to say those four, and then 
I don't know. You got me. I got four. All right. You were correct. You actually named one, two, and three. Avatar, Titanic, and Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other, rounding up the top five, is True Lies and Aliens. Which oh. I've never actually seen True Lies, but everybody tells me that it's amazing. That's I should. Really good. And, and one of the, the best scenes in the movie isn't CG'd because it's with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. But anyway, that's another <laughs> aside. <laughs> okay. All right, this next question. Yep. My, my wife actually helped me with this one. This was a really good question. Cool. So it says, this English actor famously voiced the entirely CGI character of Gollum in Lord of the Rings, Caesar in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Supreme Leader Snoke in Star Wars The Force Awakens, and most recently voiced Baloo in the newest Jungle Book movie. What is this actor's name? I'm, I'm going to assume it's the same actor that did the, uh, the motion capture Andy Serkis. It, damn it, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. nice. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> I, did, I honestly didn't expect you to get that one, but yep. such is life. So he, he kind of mastered the uh, sort of the motion capture, and he's like probably the, the leading motion capture person in the world. Really? Yep. Okay. So maybe that wasn't as esoteric of a question as I had, I had hoped. Oh, but. good. All right. This next question. Obviously, yes. you know, The Matrix is my favorite movie. Yes. You love The Matrix. All right. So what is the name given by the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar to the autonomous, multi-eyed, tentacled killing machines that are also referred to as squiddies by the human resistance? So what is the name of the actual killing machines that are like the main or one of the main antagonists in the film? These mechanical electronic creatures. What are they called? The, the, the squiddies, the, senten the sentinels, right? Sentinels. Yeah. yeah. Damn it, Chris. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh this is really disheartening, but okay. This 2009 film is derived from a graphic novel that is widely accepted as one of the 100 greatest novels of all time. Set in an alternate history 1985, it features characters such as Dr. Manhattan and Rorsarch. What is the movie? I don't know. I actually thought you would have got this one. It's uh, Watchmen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Movie didn't take off nearly as well as the graphic novel did, but... um. Very, very popular film. I actually seen it in the, the very first movie I ever seen in IMAX 3D or 3D IMAX, however you say it was, was that movie. And true story, like the craziest scene up until that point that I have ever seen in 3D was the uh, whenever Dr. Manhattan is actually on Mars and he's building some sort of like mechanical thing, whatever. It's this isn't great for radio, but if you could see it, if you can go on YouTube and search it, it is absolutely incredible. Like talk about a very, very good use of CGI. That's one of them. Very cool. All right, this next question. I'm sure you've seen the original Tron. Yes, of course. Yeah. Right? Um, actually, I just messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you the answer first. Okay, well, was it Tron? Yeah, it was Tron. Oh, good. I was going to say this film was disqualified from receiving, from receiving an Academy Award nomination for special effects because the Academy felt that they were cheating. Wow. So it was actually Tron. So it, it's funny because I think it was like shortly after that time is when they started to expand the Oscars and they added things like makeup and special effects as categories. Right. That, I think makeup came along in 1982, if I remember correctly, because Rick Baker, who did uh, the makeup in 1977 for Star Wars and should have won, obviously, if, if there was an award at that time, but there was no award for makeup at that time. So he right. would have won it for the uh, cantina sequence. But anyway. All right. Well, sorry for bombing that. That was really That's good. OK. I, I got it. It was Tron. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. All right. <laughs> Okay, this 2000 film is believed by many to be one of the worst ever made, and it features the lead character, Turl. This is directly from IMBD right here. While other beings were learning how to spell their names, Turl was being trained to conquer galaxies. Despite his willpower and his knack for strategy, he is thoroughly incompetent and absent-minded when it comes to dealing with man-animals, as he calls them. 
Turl is a vengeful psycho and will stop at nothing to ruin anybody who dares cross him. What is this movie? Oh, you, please, it's Battlefield Earth. I mean, come on. It's John Travolta. It's one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. It was based on L. Ron Hubbard, right? On his yep. book. Oh, it's terrible. Yep. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. And it was the only reason it, it was made is because uh, because um, Travolta's a Scientologist, right? And oh, yep. just awful, 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 awful movie. I agree with you. One of the worst movies ever made, for sure. You're, you're doing pretty good. You're, having a good. you're having a good show, Chris. Not you really bad, are. not bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So, Chris, you have two kids, right? Yes, I do. So I take it you've seen Toy Story at least once in your I, life? I've seen Toy Story, yeah, from time okay. to time. Okay. So obviously it's it's all CGI throughout the entire film. Um, what is the name of the emotionally disturbed delinquent child that lives next door and destroys toys in cruel and unusual ways? Oh, God. You you got me there. You got, oh, you got me the... Okay, so you got me on that one. I can't remember. I know the character, but I don't remember. I know. I know you can picture him. Yeah, you know oh, what yeah. he looks like. I can picture him because yeah, and he, and he straps the the bomb onto Buzz. He's gonna yeah, and that's the, the rescue. I can't remember the name of the kid. Oh, His name is Sid. Sid. Oh, jeez, you got me. That was a good one. Yeah, slimy one. little bastard. By the way, that. and by the way, I gotta say, like Toy Story was was okay. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm you know, Toy Story two was, but Toy Story three. Toy, Toy Story three made me cry. It was, I cried in the theater. Oh yeah, unbelievable! Not not just one of the best movies of that year. It was one of the like not one of the best animated movies. It, it was one of the best movies of all time. Like mm-hmm. seriously, like it is an incredible, incredible yeah. movie. Like it's got everything in it. It's got emotions and it's got a great story and it's got incredible effects and all these action and like the suspense and oh. What what a movie. That's what movies are all about. And that is amazing use of CGI because I think going back to what we were saying before, a lot of the things with CGI is, is the emotions miss, missing. And, and that really is what connects people to movies. That's what what makes movies so special. There has to be an emotional connection. And a lot of it can get lost in CGI. And I think Toy Story 3 is a great example where you can still convey emotion and connect with audiences through CGI. Totally agree. Totally agree. One of my favorite movies growing up, still is one of my favorite movies, was the all three Toy Stories. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So this next question, this 2002 movie is an American science fiction action mystery thriller directed by Steven Spielberg, which you've heard of Steven Spielberg, I assume. Uh, yeah, I've heard of him from time to time. Yeah. 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 Little obscure director. Uh, it's set in the year 2054, where pre-crime, as it's called, is a specialized police department that apprehends criminals based on foreknowledge provided by three psychics. What is the name of this movie? Oh, oh, that's the one with uh, with Tom Cruise, right? Oh, what the yep. hell is the name of it now? It's that, oh. oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's it's escaped me. Um, Some really crazy, fuck? crazy special effects. Yes, like yes, yes. I remember. With it was his great. hands, dealing with computers and moving images side by side and uh, I just I can't remember it off the top of my head now. It's uh, I know I I, I I can't remember. Yep, it's uh you you were right. It was a Tom Cruise movie, yep. and it's called Minority Report. Minority Report. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's based off the book. Absolutely. Okay. I think I ha- yeah I have one more question. One more. Lay it on me. Are you a Harry Potter guy? Uh yeah yeah Harry Potter. I'm more I'm more like the um the, the books than than the movies. But I mean the movies are still good. They're very true okay. to the books. So so you should nail this. All right, so the first Harry Potter movie was released in 2001, right? Yeah. So 10 years and eight films later, the series finally met its end. How many Harry Potter movie titles can you name? Uh, I I guess I could name all of them, right? I mean, the first one. Start from the top. Let's let's start the oldest. Um, So the Sorcerer's Stone, there is the Chamber of Secrets. Um, Then the third one is the 
is it the Order of the Phoenix, the third one? Um, I did this. The funny thing was, is on my honeymoon, um, because I read the books like years ago, and so it's harder for me to remember. I was on my honeymoon, and there was a trivia contest on the ship, and one of the questions was name all the titles of the books, and I wasn't able to name them all, but uh, but they've obviously, they're escaping me now. So uh, there was the Half-Blood Prince and the, right. the Deathly Hallows, uh, part one and Deathly Hallows part two, because they broke the movie into two of them, and there was the Goblet of Fire. I missed that one, and I said Half-Blood there's Prince. One. And there's, there's one. There's one that you have not that you haven't said already. So you've gotten all of them but one. It's the third movie, though. It was a really good one where... The, probably probably uh, the, the third... Azkaban! Azkaban. Wasn't it Azkaban? Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah. Yes! Prisoner yes, of yes, Azkaban. Yes. Well that was done. it. That was, one of, that was actually probably the one of the best of the movies, too. I'm trying to remember yep. when it was... Yep. I like the director. Uh, I think it was Swan who directed it. It was a really, really good job, and I thought he did I thought he did some really good stuff in that. So, oh, okay, so did I get them all? Is that all of them? No, yeah, I didn't do it in order, but... Uh, okay. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, the part one, was actually the first movie I saw in theaters with my wife, which she was obviously my girlfriend at the time, but she wanted to see it really, really bad, and I had... I wasn't caught up with all the movies. I had missed, like, The Goblet of Fire and The, the Order of the Phoenix, and so I was like, you know, I'll take you or whatever, but it was actually phenomenal movie but I'm, I'm pretty impressed that you knew them all especially when I, when you started getting out of order I didn't think you'd be able to recover but you did it Chris I oh, think man. you got what every single one right but one oh, did you miss bad. one movie uh, of, of the Harry Potter no, overall. Oh, overall. No, I did awesome this week. I mean, and next week you better brush up on your Fonzie because, you know, I'm sure we'll be doing so lots of Fonzie stuff. I'll be hitting you with that. So it's going to be great. But right now, hey, listen, time to wrap things up. Uh, tell you what, if, if you have anything that you'd like to hear us talk about here on the show or if you want to reach out to us and talk to us, you can reach us on Twitter at C McBrien or at Yancey Eaton, or you can always email us at Chris at PopGoesYourWorld.com or Yancey at PopGoesYourWorld.com. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Yancey Eaton saying, Thanks for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 